Welcome. Glad everyone's here this morning. Are we uh, are we good to go? No. Okay. Do you guys test it? Do we test it? Well, let's see here. Okay. I guess we didn't test it good enough. So we got to make sure it's. The red button is on. Are we good? Are we good to go now? It still is on. It still is it going. Is it coming? Can you hear it? Yeah. I am. They're saying yes. They're saying some saying yes. Some saying no. Now it definitely is hearing yes. Okay. We got it. I'd rather have this thing than the other thing. So we are in the 40 days of love. This is the fifth week of this series. Uh, how many of you are enjoying that book? Have you reading the book, uh, Principles of Jesus, uh, the Relationship Principles of Jesus? Several of you. Good. Good. I hope you're getting a lot out of that book. Uh, I have been. I think it's been been very very helpful. This week, we are going to uh, be looking at uh, a theme about love, that love is not selfish. Uh, there's a pretty clear scripture about that. It's in 1 Corinthians 13, which people call the love chapter of the Bible. And it goes through a good description of what love is. And one of the phrases is that love is not self-seeking, or in some translations, not selfish. And uh, this, what I'm going to... Uh, do today is we're going to be talking about and looking at a passage of scripture from Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be a thorough Bible study of one passage, 11 verses and one passage of scripture. It's one of my favorite in the Bible. And the reason it's one of my favorites is not because it's so easy and I kind of just can apply it. It's one of my favorites because I need it so much. It's one of my favorites because I have to keep coming back to it over and over again and dealing with it and working on this passage. But he, he puts it so well, and it's such a, such a great passage that I want us to really get it under our belts and be able to, to use it in our lives and help others with that passage as well. Now, I struggle with uh, the selfishness and arrogance that are talked about in this passage, and it kind of reminds me of uh, this uh, situation where some guys, they were in an airplane, and uh, the engine went out in the airplane, and they were flying around, and the engine went out, and there were four people in the plane. And uh, the problem was is that there were only three parachutes and four people. And uh, there was a, uh, a father, there was, a, there was, a, there was a, a, a Boy Scout, and of course there was a pilot who was a Christian and really solid guy. And uh, then there was another man who kind of reminds me a little bit of myself sometimes. And uh, he, uh, when he found it was going on, he, the first thing he said was, Well, you know, guys, I'm a really important person. In fact, I'm one of the most brilliant people in the world. And so I just, I've got to, I've got to live. So he took, he took and just took one of the, the parachutes and just, just jumped out. And, uh, and then the, uh, uh, the, the pilot was there and kind of looking at the thing. Oh, gee, three of us, only two, two parachutes left. What am I going to do? And um, uh, what do we do? And so the pilot said, well, listen, you're, you're the father. You have, you have, your, your son is here. You need to live. You need to take care of your kid, uh, those kind of things. So you take one of the parachutes. And then he told the Boy Scout, you're young. Get your whole life ahead of me. You can take one of the parachutes, and I'll just go down with the plane. And uh, the Boy Scout uh, says, hey, listen. Hey, pilot, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The, the, the world's most brilliant man jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so they had plenty of parachutes for the rest of them. So anyway. Minds us sometimes. Now, you may not face any life and death situations, but you do face situations all the time that uh, where we have to practice selfless love. We have to not 
move forward with selfish ambition and vain conceit, which we'll talk about. But we need, but this this selfless love will be tested. And every time it's tested in those little things around the house, around life, or at work, every time it's tested, it gives you an opportunity to develop stronger. The strength in that area. So we're going to be talking about how to love with unselfish love. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. All the, the, the scriptures will be here. Happy to have you looking on uh, if you have your Bible, but uh, we're, uh, it's all the scriptures going to be up there. It starts off in that chapter. And this is a letter of Paul to the church at Philippi, the church that he started, and he'd gone away and planted some other churches, and he's writing a letter back to them. And uh, God had done some great things in their lives. There's still probably a lot of young believers in that church, and but he's writing back to them, and he makes a statement in the first verse. It says, um, if you, talking to that church, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now, starting off there, just stop there. If any of this has happened in your life, if you've had God work in your life and you begin to make progress towards knowing Him, you have a sense of, of, of some, some being united with Him and, and a connection with Christ, or you start to experience even a little bit of genuine fellowship of the kind of relationships you can have in the body of Christ. Paul says, if that's your case, if that's where you're at, then I want you to get to the next level. I want you to move on. I want you to go from this, and I want you to get on to the next verse. And the next verse says, Then, if that's true, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being united in spirit and purpose. It says several things there. Uh, that first phrase, be like-minded, that could you could misinterpret that a little bit if you're not if you're not careful it doesn't mean you actually agree on every single thing and we all think exactly alike it has to do with more with attitude be like-minded a little later on even translates it in this this translation translates it attitude but have the same attitude and the attitude he's going to talk about is the attitude of Jesus Christ. And he's going to describe what that's like. And it's a selfless love kind of attitude. But that's what he's going to talk about. Have the same attitude, and, but also be united and with the same love, the love of Jesus Christ that can be in us and through us. We're united in that love. We have uh, uh, one oneness of spirit, just that camaraderie and that spirit, not only the spirit of God, but the spirit together, uh, in one in purpose. As a church, one of the things we do is we agree on our purpose. We know why we come together. And the outside of your bulletin talks about our purpose as a mission trails, the four M's. But you know the four M's? We exist to make disciples, to mature them, to help them to grow spiritually, to mobilize them, to get them going into the world, and to multiply them throughout the earth. So we want to make, mature, mobilize, and multiply disciples of what we call the vintage Jesus. And as a church, we emphasize that word just to kind of make you think a little different and that we are really trying to go not some made-up Jesus that we come up with or our society comes up with, but Jesus of history in the Bible. That's where our, our focus is, and that's what our purpose is. The next verse, it says, as we go on that passage, it says, Do nothing... And this, this, these two verses are probably graduate school for relationships. If you can get these down... You're really getting somewhere. This is, this, is, this, is, this is important stuff. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look out to his own interests, but also the interests of others. This is very countercultural stuff. This is not natural and normal for us, but it's really what makes relationships work. 
It's really what God wants to be teaching us over, over time in our lives as we grow and mature as Christians. And then he goes on from there. And we'll come back to break that down a little bit in a second. But he goes on in the next verse there in verse 5. It says, your attitude. That's the same word before it talked about be like-minded. The same word in the original language. But your attitude should be the same as who? Jesus Christ. We should have the same attitude of Jesus that Jesus Christ had. Who, in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. In taking the very nature of a servant, in being made in human likeness, and being found as appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, in those three verses, which we're not going to go into in detail, but in those three verses, we find some major theological bedrock information. We find out the difference between true Christianity and a lot of popular cult groups. True Christianity believes that Jesus Christ himself was God. In the very nature of God, he was God from eternity, the creator God, who at a certain point in time decided to take on human form. To become a man. To become a human being. And then, as a human being, he lived a life of service. And the ultimate act of service was obedience to God to go to the cross. To die to forgive our sins. That we might be forgiven and cleansed and can have a relationship with a holy God. This is the, the essence of what's talked about here. The bedrock things that we believe are packed in those verses. So, uh, relating to the cross. But then it goes on and tells what happened to Jesus as he humbled himself, as he was the servant attitude. And what happens through service? What happens through humility? And, and at verse 9, it says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Master, Boss, to the glory of God the Father. I'll tell you this, just in a side note. Someday, everybody's going to bow the knee to Jesus Christ as Lord. Everybody. Better to do it on this side... <laughs> In your choice, and submit yourself to him and be right with him than just be forced to, to, to do it later on. But uh, it is a principle of life that I want you to really see from, verse, from going back from verse 9, where God exalted him. And when somebody, the principle of life is this, is that when somebody humbles himself, when they become a servant, when, they, when you serve, when you humble yourself and you're obedient to God and, and you serve, then God exalts. God brings honor to you. It says he did with Jesus. He will do that with us. Sometimes we think that sort of greatness and honor is sort of on the top shelf over here in the, in the pantry. And we've got to climb up to it. In fact, there's other people that will kind of climb over them a little bit, a little bit of selfish ambition to climb up to get to that greatness, to get to that. We have to climb up high to get it. But that's the whole misunderstanding of the New Testament. It's not on the high shelf. Greatness is on the low shelf. It's when you humble your heart and you, you get down on your knees and you, you humble yourself and depend on God and you serve others. You get on the low shelf and that's when you find true greatness. That's when you find what God wants to do in our lives and uh, uses us that way. So let's look at seven ways to love with unselfish love. 
Number one is avoid two common attitudes, and these are very prevalent. Verse uh, 3, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Those are the two attitudes. Don't let those be the motivators in your life. And it's easy for that to happen. And I'll kind of illustrate that here in a second. But selfishness is at the root of it. Selfish pride is at the root of most, if not all, of our relational problems. When we have a problem with people, we're having a problem in relation with God or with the other. It comes from self. It's the root. It's the root of all kinds of problems and, and things happening in our life uh, in the relational things we have. But the two things that Paul particularly talks about here is selfish ambition. And what that is, you know, I want what I want. I want I selfishly, I want something. And I want it so bad, I'm even willing to maybe hurt or move around or step on somebody else to get it. You know, it's like that stuff on the top shelf. I want up there. I see you down there. So I'll step on you to get up there. Or I'll push enough uh, shove and I'll try to find my way. There's an interesting illustration of that. Is when we were living in Russia, we uh, went to, they had some sort of like a 4th of July parade in Russia. And uh, so our family went out. My kids were pretty small. And we went with the other missionary family uh, that were all, was also went with us. And they had small kids about our age. And we went early to this. It was going to be a parade with all the, the Russian tanks and stuff going to go by. And so we went out there early and staked out our spot to watch the parade. You know you know how you do. If you've ever been to a parade, you kind of stake out your spot. We got our spot, and we got in a good place. I got. And then as it got closer to the time that the parade started, started going on, we went up and stood at our front line where the, where the thing was going to be. And uh, the Russians that were on both sides of us, for some reason, they didn't think that should be our spot. They thought it should be their spot. And they started crowding in to our spot. Taking over little by little and kind of looking at it, taking over. We couldn't speak the language for we were new to kind of crowding in. And so uh, here we are, the missionaries out there trying to win these people to Christ. We are getting a little irritated and wanting to guard our spot, <laughs> guard, our, guard, our, guard our territory. But the more we stood and we tried to guard our territory, so our kids could see. You know, that was, we had an excuse. So our kids could see. And I got, I got there short. And so we're guarding our spot. They're crowding even more in. They're pushing us in on us more. And <laughs> it, was, it was actually getting kind of comical after a while. They're, they're crowding in. We're crowding for a spot. Finally, I kind of gave up. But the, my buddy, missionary friend, he, had a, he was a little more... Um, what would you, what you say for it? Um, determined than I was. And uh, he, he, was, he, he, was a, he was a little guy, but he was just standing all braced in, holding that spot. And those people are pushing on him, trying to hold that spot in the thing. We're kind of going in. But we get that, like, we thought we deserved the spot because we got there early. We had it. Somehow, in their mind, they thought they deserved the spot, maybe because they're Russians and we're Americans and they don't want us taking their territory. I don't know what it was, but they thought of it. But this selfish ambition and wanting what you want, demanding your rights and having that kind of stuff, is the heart of most conflicts. Whether you're talking about global wars, it's selfish ambition. Moving towards that. Or grocery store wars, you know, with the line or the things, the things going on. Things that are going on is that we get wanting our spot, demanding our way, demanding what we want, and we get ourselves into problems. The other word it talks about there is uh, selfish, uh, besides selfish ambition, is vain conceit. Uh, that's an arrogance in the, the, the word vanity. It kind of really talks about... We're concerned about what we look like. What do the people think about us? Their impressions of us. It's, it's wanting to have attention. It's, it's a prideful, selfish wanting to have attention. When our boys were little, um, we had four. We had four boys, little, you know, two sets of twins, and they're all about the same age. And you know, we're having four of them. It was hard for us to give them all the attention that 
they wanted or needed and things. And, you know, if you had just one kid, you could just kind of focus on it. But you have four of them running around. I mean, you kind of... And so they didn't, we didn't give them all the attention that we, we felt like, you know, we probably should have. But, but they would start to be feel deprived. And so they would start to act up in order to get attention. Can you guys picture that around kids? We kept doing they want to feel attention, they act up. And we used to call it, they're climbing, now what you're doing, you're climbing the ladder of attention. We had a little thing, you're climbing the ladder of attention. It's like that and try to get them back and, 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 and to calm down. But we tend to do that in life. We tend to climb the ladder of attention. We try to do stuff to draw attention to ourselves, get people to focus on us. But it's a way of selfishness and it causes problems in relationship. But both of these two things, both selfish ambition and vain conceit, they sort of team up to get us into sort of a, a demanding way of life, that we demand our rights, we demand attention, we look for things for ourselves, and that causes all kinds of problems. So instead of demanding something, we need to learn as Christians to depend on God to provide what we need. Instead of demanding it and pushing for it and trying to grab it ourselves, we need to trust Christ, humble ourselves, and allow God to provide what we need without without this fighting, feisty kind of uh, pushing and, and that kind of attitude. So, it goes along, the next point goes right along with it. It's sort of the flip side of those, the positive side. It says, humbly count others as better than yourself. Count others as, in humility, consider others better than yourself. More important. Consider others more important. Now, whether they are more important or not, I mean, that's who knows. But you have to consider them that. You have to think about it that way on the importance. And this is a mental thing that we do. It's sort of intentional. We're going to look to others as being more important to themselves. And therefore, we're not then not getting this deserving attitude and kind of pushing ourselves forward. If we had been thinking about that at that, uh, at that parade, we might not have been fighting for our ground so much. We might have been a little more understanding. But we were thinking about ourselves and what we wanted. We wanted with our families. And, um, but... Consider others as better than themselves. Whole societies fall into problems with this. I mean, I'm not talking about this being a, not doing this. Uh, have you remember seeing the movie Titanic? Remember the whole big theme in the book and the movie Titanic? You know, the boats going down, and there are a certain number of lifeboats for everybody to be on. And uh, remember what happened? Those who had more money or smarter or whatever, they deserved the lifeboats, and so what they did is they locked the other people in down below. So they wouldn't get them. They couldn't get their lifeboats. And, I mean, that's, I mean, we're better than them. We're richer than them. We're better than them. So therefore, we, it's okay to even allow them to die so we can save our own skin. You see, I mean, I mean whole society, think of the, the, the disgrace of American slavery. Looking down, others not, not as good as us. We're better than they are. What a disgrace. Think of countries like, I mean, where there's hundreds of millions of people. We spent time in India. And what's in India? The whole caste system in India is, just, is all built on one group of people thinking they're better than another group of people, and another group of people better than the next one, and all them down, and like seven different ones, and some of them don't even rate to be in a caste system. They can't even rate the system. And uh, it's just tragic what happens. And it's a belief system that goes in that just destroys society. Now, we see that in a big scale all over the world with millions of people. But I want to tell you that we aren't exempt from that. We aren't exempt from temptations towards thinking that way in little ways and stuff like that as Christians. We tend to think we're a little better than others. A little better than our husband or wife or kids. A little bit up up on them. And we've had a hard day. So we think we deserve things better. We deserve special treatment. We deserve the remote control. 
right? People get in a little fights around the house, whatever it is, on, on those kind of things, because we do that. But those kinds of things happen, and we tend to look on others and in ways that just aren't healthy. You know, we have to watch ourselves. When you see stuff happening on big scales around the world, big problems, kind of come back and think, well, how does that influence me? How is that? How am I having a problem with that in everyday life situations? One thing you can do, if it's a weak point for you, kind of looking down on others a little bit, not considering others is important. And one thing you might want to do is something like what the guys are doing this afternoon with the homeless. Spend some time giving and spending time with somebody who can't give anything back to you. Spend some time with, with, with a homeless or elderly or, 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 or somebody just in a, a hard situation. Visit an orphanage or do, do some things like that where you're, where, you're, where you're really kind of caring for people who can't care back for you. That's good health. That's healthy stuff for us to think about those kind of things. Number, number three, if you want to love with unselfish love, look out for the interests of others as well as your own. The verse there, each one of you should look out not only for his own interests, it's okay. I mean, God expects us to look out for our own interests. We need to feed ourselves. We need to take care of ourselves. And there's, there's, there's parameters and boundaries that we should have. There's, it's okay to look after yourself. But the problem is, is that not, we shouldn't just look after ourselves. We should look after ourselves and not be so self-preoccupied that we don't look after the needs of others around us and look to their interests, not just needs, but interests, and care about them and to show this. Jesus, of course, is our greatest example of this. When he went to the cross... He didn't go for the cross for himself. He went for us. He went out, he was looking out for our interests. Not just his own interests, he was looking out for our interests going to the cross. And the thing that just amazes me about Jesus Christ, it just baffles me, is that while he's on the cross, at the point of his most excruciating pain, right when he's going to be separated from the Father from eternity, you know what he's thinking about? Anybody remember John 19, what he's thinking about? He's thinking about his mother. He's thinking about making sure his mother is taken care of. He turns to his apostle John and says, John, behold your mother. It wasn't really his mother. It was Jesus' mother. Jesus had been taken care of because Joseph had died. Jesus had been taking care of her and making sure she's okay. Now, because he's dying, he's not thinking about himself, but he's thinking about his mother. Thinking about meeting that need. Now, when we are in pain, what do we do? What do we usually think about when we're in pain? ourselves and our pain and we're so preoccupied and all the things that are going on with me and this happened and that happened we're so preoccupied we don't think about anybody else but not Jesus he's thinking about others even in the midst of his own pain and I think that's a great example for us we to have the attitude and move towards trying to grow towards the attitude of Jesus Christ and thinking about others now that's big ways like Jesus but lots of little ways around your house who you live with what goes on uh, with that around the house for instance uh, men if any of you men share a bathroom with a woman, guess what you're supposed to do? It's written in some law. I think it's a Bible verse someplace. I'm not sure where it's at. But you're supposed to put that lid down. I mean, it's in there. Now, there's nothing in there about the, the, the women having to put the lid up for the guy. But there's something in there. I don't know where it's at, but it's in there that the guy has to put the lid down for the gal. But you see, what, what, what I'm talking about here is just even those little things in life, we're thinking about others. We're thinking about those who come behind us. We were at the beach the other day, and um, I was surfing or something. It was actually a couple months ago. But there were two guys that came down to the beach. And what, what beach was that, Diane, we were at? You remember which one? They came down with their, their uh, glass bottle, big glass bottles of beer. And they came down to the beach. And we watched them come down. They came kind of, we're sitting there watching them come down. And I'm, I'm just kind of thinking, well, you know, they're, that's, they're drinking the beach. That's okay. But I hope they take that, hope they take that out of there when they, when they leave. But so anyway, we end up leaving about the same time they're leaving. 
And sure enough, those same two guys going up there with nothing in their hands. They didn't have it. And there wasn't any trash cans down there or anything. And actually, I saw one of them kind of throw it in there in the, in the ocean. And uh, so I'm walking up, and they're walking up, and I'm thinking, uh, hey, guys, didn't you get something down at the beach? <laughs> Then they're, oh, no, no, no. they're kind of grumbling away. They're kind of getting into what I get. I don't know why I did that. I'm going to you know, pick a fight and get myself in trouble here. But anyway, I'm, 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 I'm telling them, like, don't you want to go back and get I saw you got to take those beer bottles. Don't you want to take them out? And kick, take them out, you know, and leave them there for, for us. And uh, they just kind of grumbled and went away. And we're trying to get their license plate and all that kind of stuff. I, <laughs> we didn't do it. But anyway, I went down and got one of them. I couldn't find one of them. I, I took it out of there. But we, we, we think of others. Don't just think of yourself. What were they thinking about? They were just thinking about themselves. The more convenient just to drink it and throw it. Who cares if somebody steps on it and cuts their feet all up or whatever? They don't, they don't care. But we should care. We have to leave a world here. I mean, I'm, I'm for ecology. I don't know about you guys. I'm for ecology. I think we have to make the world better than it is now. I think we should go out in the woods and we shouldn't just throw our trash around. I think we should make it better. Think about the legacy we're leaving for our kids and for what's going on and all that kind of stuff. But uh, look out not just for your own interests and what's good and convenient for you, but look out for the interests of others in the little things in life and in the big things of life. Be concerned about those things. Number four, trust God for the attitude of Jesus Christ. Trust God for the attitude of Jesus Christ. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus is our model in this. He's our example. He's our standard. And it's a standard that's really high, and we all fall short, don't we? I mean, who, who of us lives anywhere like that? You can't get anywhere close. But it's still our standard. It's still what we shoot for. I may not hit it all the time every day, and I certainly don't. But I still shoot for it. And I depend on God to have grace on my life as I'm seeking to try to do that. And I'm depending on God to be patient with me as I'm growing and I'm developing and I'm learning. But that should be our goal. And you know, but there's also great hope in that verse. To have the attitude of the same as Jesus Christ. You see, the hope is that in the new covenant, Jesus Christ actually comes to live inside of us. His attitude isn't just something out there, up there in heaven. His attitude, it may be buried underneath all our selfishness, but His attitude is actually in us. He's in us, and His attitude is in us. His love is in us. His unselfish love is inside of us, in our spirit. And it can be released. We can learn and mature and get our junk out of the way that He can express Himself through us. That's our great hope. Paul put it this way. He says, Christ in you is your hope of glory. Not just going to heaven, but your hope of any kind of significance. Christ in you is your hope of having unselfish love. Christ in you is your hope of growing and becoming more mature in the way you think of others, in the way you not fall to selfish ambition and vain conceit, but as you humbly can look at others as more important to yourself and serve the people around you. This is huge. This is important stuff. The next thing, number five, is take the form of a bond servant. Take the form of a bondservant. In our scripture that's there, uh, there in verse 7, it says, The very nature of a servant. Jesus took the very nature of a servant. The literal word there instead of servant is the word bondservant. You know, the difference between a servant and a bondservant is a bondservant was somebody who, who was a slave in those days, but then somebody paid a price and set him free, or the year of Jubilee, he was set free, and now he was free. But he decided willfully to give himself back to his master. And I want to... Because of what you've done for me, because you brought me back, because you treated me so well, I want to give myself to you. And the bond slave gave himself back willingly to the uh, to the master. And uh, Jesus was that way. We are to be have that attitude of service. Now, I want to I to meditate and think about just for a couple minutes uh, the difference between being a servant and serving. 
It's not like the same thing. But, the, but I want you to think about it. There's a distinction here that I think is an important one to make in our minds. Uh, being a servant, you're, you're somebody's servant. When you're a servant, you're somebody's servant. But when you're just serving, it's just like you're your own boss... You're determining your own schedule, all good, and you just kind of help somebody out on your on your timetable, in your way, and how much you want to do. You just kind of help out when you want to do it. You're not really under as a, being a servant. You're just serving, which is a good thing to serve, but there's a difference to being a, a being a being a servant. A servant has a boss. There's a position that he has. For us, it's God, Jesus Christ, being the boss of our lives. And we're not living our lives on our own terms. Kind of looking for, I want to serve here, I want to serve there, making all our own decisions, the things that we do. We are submitted to Him as a servant. He's our boss. We want to follow His direction for what we do. It's His timetable and His way. And we are obedient to Him to do what He said. Just like Jesus Christ was, we are the same thing in the same way. We ought to take that. Not just random little help and serve here, help and serve there. You know, the difference of this would be the difference in what Austin is doing and the, the team. Several of these guys are on the team that, that help with the homeless. They are committed to homeless ministry. Austin's going to be out there this afternoon. I don't, I don't even have to ask him. He's going to be out there. He's going to be kind of leading it because he's committed to doing that. That's sort of, he's, he's a servant to that group of people and that team that's going out there, and he's going to do it. Now, I'm, I, I mean, I'm for it. I'm going to probably go out there this afternoon and help out some, but I'm not... I'm just kind of making my own choice to sort of go and do it and do some serving to help out with that ministry some this afternoon. But it's not really my ministry. I'm not a servant. I'm just serving under my own kind of initiative. We, some people approach their relationship with God sort of that way. We're not really His servants in really submitted to doing whatever He wants, whenever He wants it, wherever He wants it, using our time, energy, money, whatever He wants for Him. We aren't submitted as servants. We're just kind of living the kind of going around, kind of being Christian in serving, kind of on our own terms, in our own way, how we want to, when we want to, and put a little bit here, and but we, we're, we're staying in control of ourselves. Does that make? Can you see the difference between the two? Of, of, of being a servant and then just kind of doing serving activities. Well, God wants you to learn because when you learn to be a servant, when you when you really take the position of a servant before God, then all of a sudden you also, in doing that, you become. Uh, a part of something. You become a part of the body of Christ and you're a part of the team. It's sort of like, an illustration of that would be like, if somebody says they go to, that, that they work at Bank of America, one of the first things we say is, well, which branch of Bank of America do you work in, right? And you know, you work for that branch, you're in there, you have a, you have a place. You, what do you do there? You have a job there, you have a place, you belong there, you're an employee of that, you're not an independent, you know, it's impossible to be an independent Employee, you're your employee. You're at that branch. You have a job to do. Same thing with God in the body of Christ. When it's not independent Christians, free floating around, kind of doing this and that, God wants us in a church, a local church. There's a branch that He wants you to be a part of. He wants you to be a servant, serve God in that branch, and do what you should be doing in that branch that God leads you by the Spirit to do in that branch. And when you do that, when you take a servant role for God and in the body of Christ, then all of a sudden you belong. All of a sudden, you're a part of the team. It's different than just kind of coming and helping. You're a part of the team now. And it's a wonderful thing. Everybody wants to belong. They want to belong to something. They want to be a part of something. They have that. But that comes with a price. Belonging comes with a price of commitment and service. You can't have both. If you want to totally belong, you commit. You give your life to it. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me on that concept? Some of you, yes. Some of you, 
still kind of looking at me. Oh, you're talking about John. Uh, that's okay. Uh, we'll keep working on it. Uh, but, there, but, but, there, but there's fact that God wants us to be servants of Jesus Christ. He was a servant. We are to be servants. And the, the passages, there's a couple other passages that are going to come up on the, on the screen here. Uh, in, a, in a second. Uh, well, I said two things about it. When, with the benefit of being a servant and really giving yourself to Christ and following Him is that you belong to something, which is a wonderful thing. All and you have a sense that you are needed. You're, you're like a piece of a puzzle. When you put a puzzle together on a table and one of the pieces happens to fall on the floor someplace and not on the table, and you work and work, you put the puzzle together, and all of a sudden that one piece is missing. It's a very frustrating thing. It's not just a bad thing for the peace that doesn't belong and then finding its place. But it's a bad thing for the whole group. It's a bad thing for all the puzzle pieces because it's a frustration because it's not put in. You are needed in the body of Christ. You are needed as a servant. You have a, God has a role. God has you to be a part of Mission Trails Church. He has a role for you here. He has some things for you to do, to be a part of the team. And He wants you to belong, and you are needed. And it's important. You're not just somebody who comes to sit in the crowd. You're important, and you're needed by the body of Christ. This is all that to say about servant has to do with this whole idea of being a servant and it helps us as we learn to be a servant to deal with unselfish love rather than selfish kind of doing my own thing to determine my own life situation the two verses that are under that uh, is Matthew 20 verse 28 it says in Jesus interesting Jesus said this phrase in the midst of his disciples having a fight with each other a selfish ambition motivated fight it's when the two disciples kind of came up to Jesus and said, Hey, we want to be, when in your kingdom, they even got their mother to help them, but uh, you, in your kingdom, we, we want to be the city, your right and left hand. Come on, give us that best, best position, Lord. Those are the guys here, and they kind of secretly went to Jesus to get ahead of the other ten and to, to get ahead of the top position. And then the other guys found out about it, and they were upset with them because they were fighting. They were just they were jockeying for this position in the, in the kingdom in the future. And so Jesus says, Guys, you're not getting it. You think it's stuffed up here on the top shelf. You should fight for the selfish ambition to get there. It's not like that way at all. Greatness in the kingdom is when you're a servant. And then he goes back in his final phrase in that whole thing. Study that sometimes. It's a wonderful chapter. It says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. That's where true greatness comes. As we serve, as we give our lives away to others. Paul said it this way. He says, Though I am free and belong to no man. He had freedom. He was set free by Christ. He could do what he needed to do. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave. Not a literal slave, but mentally and the way he did his service, he made himself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. His motivation was salvation, to help other people come to know God, to come to know eternal salvation. And so he made himself a slave. He sacrificed. He gave himself for that end to help them to come to Christ. So if we look at verses like this and study the whole New Testament on these kind of topics, we see that uh, we are to be servants of God. We are to be servants of one another in the body of Christ. We are to submit to one another and serve one another and take our position of service in the body of Christ. And, so we don't think about it, we as Christians are to be servants of of the lost people around us in the community. We are to serve them. We are to love them. Why? In order to win them. Or to help them come to eternal salvation. One of the reasons why we're going to sort of stretch ourselves the next few months as a church and to seek to multiply ourselves to reach more people for Christ. It'll be hard for us. We'll have to do something. We'll have to work harder than we're working now. We'll have to share something. But we want to start a second service. 
in another location within, you know, five, ten minutes away from here. And that'll take, there'll be some effort in that. That's not going to be easy. We'll have to pull together. But we do it. We serve because we want to win people to Christ. We want to be a servant them. And we know that when we bring a, a church right to their community, right in their neighborhood, some of the people that aren't used to going to church are more likely to come. Some of you are here because this church is, is right here, not five or ten miles away. Isn't that right? You're here because this was close and it was convenient. So you checked out. Once you came, you liked it, you met the people, you liked some things about it, so you stayed. But it's because it's close. Well, there's some people five and ten minutes away from here. They're not going to come here. But So what can we do if we can multiply ourselves, expand ourselves? It's just a way of service. It's a, it's a, a serving the lost. And so we're, we're moving towards that. It's nothing we're doing right away, but we're doing that very soon. So be prepared for that. Next thing about number six to, to, for unselfish love is humbly become obedient. Remember what Jesus said there? Is that being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. What do servants do? Servants obey the master. That's what they do. That's what's in here. In it, we are to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives, submit ourselves to the Scripture, and be obedient to what, 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 what He shows us and what we're understanding the Scripture to say to our lives. We, we're at the attitude as a servant of Christ. If the Bible says it, that sort of settles it for us. We're not going to debating on that. We're, we're following. We're going to do the best we can to put this into practice. Our time, life, money, energy, everything in obedience to Him, just like Jesus did. Number seven for unselfish love is take up your cross and make sacrifices for others. Just like Jesus did. He took up his cross, obedient to death, even death on the cross. When the Bible says, Jesus says, you want to be a disciple, you must take up your cross. You know, he says that several times. You must take up your cross and follow me. The cross that you're supposed to take up is not his cross, but it has some similarities to his cross. It's your cross. It's what God calls you to do for the sake of others that causes you some sacrifice. Your cross is God's calling, His direction, His command to you that requires some sacrifice and benefits others. And you are to make a choice, a conscious choice for unselfish love to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Find out what He wants you to do. Highlight how to use your gifts and abilities and your level of spiritual maturity and to, and to work that um, together. It'll be inconvenient. It'll be um, uncomfortable. But yet... Your greatest joys in life will come through service. God will exalt you. God will make you great in His eyes and in the kingdom of God as the more we serve, the more we give our lives away to God and others. There's a prayer as we close. And we'll look at it. This is the application of what I've been talking about here and uh, might help to, to, to summarize it for you a little bit. Um, We'll, we'll just kind of read through it, and then I'll leave this to you to, to, to pray on your own. I'll have a prayer for you. But let's just think about this prayer. Lord, I admit that I struggle with selfishness in its various forms. I hope you can admit that. I think we all do. Forgive me based on your sacrificial work on the cross. He's done something to take care of that. He's forgiven that sin. And live your life in and through me. Empower me to more and more develop the mature attitude of Jesus Christ. This is the growth process. We don't get there overnight. But pray that God will help you to grow, to move towards that maturity. Lord, I choose to be your servant. And I realize this will involve serving those in the body, in the family of God, as well as, as those serving, as well as serving those you love in the world. Give me the wisdom to know what to do 
in the courage to make hard choices that demand sacrifices on my part. I hope you have the courage to pray a prayer like that. You may put it in your own words, but to pray a prayer like that. God, help me with my selfishness. Help me to be a servant. Help me to learn this stuff. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I'm not going to go through that whole prayer there, but I just want to express my heart and just ask you to forgive me of my personal selfishness and selfish ambition and vain conceit that, that, that sneaks into my life. And thank you, you died for me. Thank you, you died for each person here. And Jesus, we ask you to live your life in us and through us. Help us to live for, for, for others instead of just for ourselves. To look out to the interests of others and not just the interests of ourselves. We thank you for what you're going to do in our lives. We look to you to be our hope and our glory. In Jesus' name, amen.